summertime, you know. You think about bears hibernating in the winter, but uh, I think summer is a good time to hibernate, uh, you know, just sort of hibernate in the uh, open air and sunshine and all the plants. Um, Or hibernate inside away from all the sunshine if you're somewhere in very extreme heat, which so many places are. yeah, feels uh feels like end times out there, but um in here in the violet hour, uh we've got a little respite from that. Um it was just the new moon this past week. Uh I still still have not seemed to uh get quite on schedule with on the new moon and on the full moon, but you know, there's there's always hope hope for an old bear to get it get it right in the future. Uh but in the meantime, I'm here, you're here, I hope, and uh, I have a fantastic show for you, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to be reading from Jan Stinchcomb's Verushka, which I think you're going to love, and I've got music for you from Charming Disaster, and it is definitely charming. So, let's uh, let's just hop right in here. Varushka by Jan Stinchcomb. And uh, it's a whole book, so I'm not going to read you all of it, although I'd love to. Uh, but I'm going to gonna read you some, start you off, and, uh, you know, then you can get your paws on your own copy. Varushka, 2004. The trick is to get between mother and child. Varushka understands this but only after many years of hard work. It is not enough to snatch a girl away. She has to confuse her heart. The girl needs to say yes. The girl must come willingly. This time she will build a little house. Children can't resist houses. And then she will have a girl all to herself, a girl to raise. The years will fly by. The child will be a teenager in no time, a maiden, beautiful and promising and ready to return to the oldest forest, ready for the darkest marriage.
That was Charming Disaster with Monsters. Carolyn and Devon, 2004 The chalet was only a temporary escape. Jack found the place through a friend at work. The owners were away in some cold country like Sweden or Iceland. It was a steal, way cheaper than the apartment they had fled, and it was nice to be in a house for a change. They all deserved a break, something new, even if it seemed reckless to move to a neighborhood in a high-risk fire zone after what they had been through. Jack assured Carolyn there were no trees anywhere near the house. The lot had been recently cleared of brush and appeared safe, no rosemary in sight. It was a long drive to the city from Topanga, but it was worth it. No neighbors. The simple blue A-frame sat on a hill with the woods behind it, and, if you walked up the hill far enough, there was a sliver of the ocean to the west. The house was wide open, almost like a barn, all wood with exposed beams. There were two bedrooms downstairs with a bathroom between them, and the entire second story was one big open room, accessed by a wooden staircase with little trees carved into the balusters. Carolyn loved it. Devon ran all over the little house squealing until Carolyn, surprised by her daughter's reaction, had to warn her about running up and down stairs. I want you to be very careful, respectful. Don't scratch anything, don't dent anything. This is someone else's home. It doesn't belong to us. I want you to protect it. Like a guard dog? Devon asked, baring her teeth. Or a guard cat. Devon went around meowing on all fours while her parents stood and stared, too tired to unpack. Their Volkswagen carried what remained of their possessions after the Venice duplex had burned down. The smell of smoke, like a campfire indoors, had woken them, and then adrenaline took over. Carolyn was wearing her favorite dress. She had fallen asleep on the couch, her contacts still in, after coming home from a party in Culver City. She had time to grab her purse and her little Nokia phone. Jack took his keys, phone, and the power book off the kitchen table. Devon had her favorite animal, Bear, in her arms. When all the residents were standing on the lawn in front of the duplex, the fire engines not yet audible, Carolyn thought of running back inside for the wedding picture. She imagined it disappearing, curling at the edges before turning into a black ball, an evil spell intended to destroy her marriage and family. Devon cried about her village of stuffed animals and her little dollhouse. Jack poured reassurances over them in the hot night. They had renter's insurance. Grandma Carol would send more toys. They had their lives. Everyone got out safe. Even the Burke's cat, Simon, who surveyed the flames with his golden eyes. Maybe she won't remember, Jack whispered to Carolyn. Of course she will. I don't know why people always say that about children. After the fire, they stayed in Beverlywood with Diane, Carolyn's old roommate from grad school. While Diane and Jack were at work and Devon napped, all Carolyn could do was lie on the couch and stare. She wanted to sob in the privacy of Diane's little house, but the tears refused to come. It's probably shock, her mother told her. You should stay with me for a while. I can watch Devon while you try to get on your feet again. Resentment, so bitter and quick it surprised her, rose up inside Carolyn. She knew it was an overreaction, and so she chose her words with care. It was better not to get in a fight with her mom. That would never work. Jack's job is here. You know he's trying to make partner. And I'm waiting to hear back from preschools for Devon. She's turning four. It's time. 
Well, where are you going to live? I don't know, Mom. I don't know. She tried not to think about her material losses because when she did, her heart plunged deep inside her ribcage. She had nothing left, not even her jeans. Her books were gone, as were the pricey Revere wear pans her mother had bought her when she started college. Her little troop of docile, dedicated cacti must have turned to ash, and the wedding picture still haunted her. They had stored the negatives in the closet, unfortunately, instead of the safe deposit box. She decided to make a list of everything she wanted to replace, but she soon found herself drowning in an endless stream of remembered objects. What had happened to the keepsakes and weird wedding gifts, all those things she and Jack used to laugh at? I want to downsize, she announced to Jack one night while they were at the dinner table. I mean, really, like not acquire anything unnecessary. Sounds good to me, Jack said. We'll never have the space for it anyway, not in L.A. A few days later, when Carolyn was alone with Devon in the little Beverly Wood house, she found herself bent over the toilet where she gagged but produced little more than long strings of saliva. She felt funny. It was a familiar feeling which had been building for days. Oh, no. She sat up, still nauseated, and tried to list the essentials. You had to have a car seat or they wouldn't let you leave the hospital, a bassinet, a stroller, diapers, onesies, a teething ring. That was when she cried. Ugly cried, in great choking gasps she didn't even try to hide from Devon. Her daughter came running up to her, carrying a small wooden car she had found on Diane's desk. What's wrong, Mommy? Stomach ache. Carolyn noticed Devon was wearing a pair of pull-ups, even though she was potty trained and only needed them at night. She must have put them on herself. She was very self-sufficient for a little kid. As Carolyn stood up to wash her face, she could hear Devon playing with Bear in his new car. Keep us going on. Have a 
a deck of cards and a suitcase drum What do we do when we lost our way? Trail lucky pennies gonna get us home safe What do we need? What do we do? Why don't we take the wrong way home? No one's calling on the telephone Dreaming the head and a lightning stone Nothing gonna touch us in a thunderstorm charming disaster with wrong way home. After they had been in the chalet for a week, Carolyn found a plush rabbit nestled under the blankets in Devon's bed. She turned it over in her hands. It had silky fur of a purpley beige no real rabbit would have. It was an expensive toy, a treat, bought for no reason one day on the third street promenade and Carolyn was sure it was one of the precious toys that had burned in the fire. Where did this come from, she asked, walking out to the main room, where Devin was playing with the new tea set her grandmother had sent her. It looks exactly like your old rabbit. It's Henry, Devin said. Devin, Carolyn began, then she paused. Maybe it was all right? Why couldn't this replacement rabbit be Henry, or Henry too? Perhaps this was the right way to deal with their trauma and the long process of remembering on a daily basis all that was lost. Carolyn was constantly reaching for objects that no longer existed in her new kitchen. Things as simple as a preferred cheese grater could ruin her mood by their very absence. So many memories were attached to each item, replaceable or not. The narrative of their lives could be told through these objects. She gave the new Henry a little squeeze. I found him outside, Devin said. Carolyn knelt down next to her daughter. Devon, I told you not to go too far. I know you're a little adventurer. In the fall, you'll be in school with other kids, and then you won't be so bored. For now, though, you have to stay in the yard. I didn't leave the yard, Mommy. Henry was on the picket fence. He was waiting for me. Carolyn smiled. Okay, she said, and let it go. There was a small patch of grass dotted with wildflowers out the back door. A simple white fence that was waist-high separated the property from the woods. They called it a picket fence, just as they called the A-frame house a chalet. Devin copied everything they said and did. What's she going to do when she goes skiing and sees a real chalet, Jack would joke. Shortly after moving in, they had taken a family walk in the woods. 
There was a trail that led partway up the hill behind the chalet and then disappeared into a scattering of oak and black walnut. Coast live oak, to be exact. Jack had looked it up. He worried about the possibility of mudslides as well as fire. But this was the beauty of a month-to-month lease. Maybe they would find something else before too long. Carolyn worried about wild animals. You mean mountain lions? Jack asked. It's possible, isn't it? They've been spotted in the city. I'm sure they're out here, too. I think you should be more worried about coyotes. The trees around them hummed with insects and birds. Jack stood and breathed in, balancing Devon on his back. We can make a rule. No walking in the woods alone. And Devon, you never go beyond the picket fence. No coming up here without mommy or daddy. And then they hiked back down to their life in the chalet. When Jack came home from work, Carolyn showed him the rabbit she had found. You know what? He took off his work jacket. It took me over an hour to get here from Century City. There must have been an accident. Unbelievable. Jack, Devon says she found it on the picket fence. I'm sure she's only playing. You're not listening to me. Can this wait until after I've had something to eat? Jack, it's exactly like her old one, the one that burned in the fire. It must have come in that box of stuff your mother sent. I would have noticed when I opened it. What are you saying? He stopped and looked at her, then set the rabbit on their new kitchen table. Maybe one of the neighbors left it for her. People don't do that kind of thing around here, and I haven't met any of the neighbors. Jack went to the refrigerator and took out a beer. We're all really tired. A lot has happened to us. You're overthinking this. I, for one, am glad to see Henry here. I'm surprised you remember his name. Who could ever forget Henry, Jack said. He went back to the table and put the rabbit on his shoulder. Devin came downstairs and saw her father, and then the two of them started to play. They were so loud and happy they couldn't hear Carolyn asking if it was Jack who had bought a replacement Henry and perched him on the fence. That must have been what happened. Of course, Jack was pulling her leg.
Charming Disaster with Bat Song. And I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Devin has Bear and Henry. The three of them sit at the little plastic table with the matching benches Daddy's work friend gave them. They're using the fancy tea set her Grandma Carol sent. Normally her mother wouldn't let her take porcelain dishes outside, but everything has changed since the horrible night. Besides, she and Bear are careful with nice things. It's the rabbit she has to watch out for. He's not bad. He's impulsive, always running away when something captures his attention. Henry is fast, the fastest animal Devin has ever seen. Ever since they moved to the chalet, Devin can barely keep track of him. She'll turn her head and he's gone. She has had to search all over the chalet and the yard for him. Once she found him stuck to a thorny bush along the picket fence. Once he was in the laundry basket, and once he was in her bed waiting for her. She can't tell her mother about this. Mommy has a problem with Henry. She hasn't trusted him since the horrible night. 
Henry did not start the fire at her old home. Daddy explained it was a problem with the neighbor's refrigerator, an electrical malfunction, the fireman said. Still, Henry must have got out first, leaving everyone else behind, and then he ran all the way to the chalet. His fur is still perfect. He does not smell like smoke. When Devon presses her little nose into his fur when he lets her, he smells like flowers and some other musky scent she knows comes from the wild. She has no idea where Henry goes at night. Often in the mornings, he is missing from her bed, even though she goes to sleep every night with one arm around each of her friends. Mommy's not happy. Devon thinks it's because she lost all her pretty clothes on the horrible night, but when they went to the mall, Mommy didn't want to try on anything. There he goes. Henry has left the tea party and is running up the hill. He knows they're not supposed to go past the picket fence. Devon and Bear look at each other in alarm. Bear is so sweet, so smart. He always does the right thing. He doesn't need to say a word. Devon knows he would tell her to stay in the yard. First, she shouts after Henry. Then she stands on top of the table, not aloud, to see how far he goes, but he is already disappearing into the woods. Devon looks back at the chalet. She can't see her mother in any of the windows. She's probably working in the upstairs room. For a second, Devon considers calling out to her mother or running into the house and up the always creaking stairs. She could ask for help, and then they could be a team like they used to be, but something has changed between them, and Devon must now take the first step of what will become a long journey. She will not ask for what she needs because it is easier this way. It is easier for her whole family if she doesn't call out to her mother. Devon cannot possibly let Henry go into the woods by himself. He is too little. He is not a real rabbit and does not have a true sense of the woods. Devon's reasons for protecting Henry are somewhat selfish, for she does not want to lose one more precious thing. It is easy to climb over the picket fence, although for one second she feels the old wood cracking under her weight. The soil on the other side of the fence is hard, baked by the California sun. She sees Bear standing on the picnic table, waving his arms in the air. "'You stay there. I'll be right back,' Devon says. Then she turns and begins the long walk up the hill. She never looks back. She is not afraid of the woods. She is afraid of her mother. By the time she is high enough up the hill to see the view of the ocean, Devon is panting. The path ends and she does not know what to do, but then there is Henry, standing and waiting for her. "'You come back here right now,' she says in her mother's voice. All at once, the lady is there. This is the first time Devon sees her. The lady is tall and thin with long white hair that covers her body like a shroud. Devon cannot see her face. She must be cautious and quiet. It's like the time her family saw a deer when they were hiking. If anything, the deer was afraid, and if they weren't careful, the animal would run away. Devon knows she is being bad. She is on the wrong side of the fence, and the lady is a stranger. At the same time, she knows the lady is not like anyone else, not a real person, and so maybe the household rules don't apply. Devon doesn't know what the lady will do to Henry, and in any case, she doesn't know if Henry will be able to find his way home. She follows them up the hill, but it's like watching herself in a dream or a movie, where she is the little girl in the foreground. She wants so badly to see the lady's face. Henry is ahead of her, of course. His fur is now white, the same color as the lady's hair. Devon cannot let them get away from her. The climb further up the hill is somehow effortless. Her legs are light yet strong. 
She knows if she turns her head she could gaze at the ocean. That is her old life, near the beach in the city. But if she turns to look at it now, this new world might disappear. The lady and Henry veer to the left, leaving what remains of the path, and are soon under the branches of scraggly old oaks. Devon has to walk quickly because Henry is moving so fast that she occasionally loses track of him. During those moments when he disappears entirely, Devon's heart hurts. It's a chilling reminder that she has no idea where she is. If Henry abandons her, she will become that terrible yet familiar thing from all the stories. A lost child. For one second, she has a flash of bear, his eyes huge with concern, standing and waiting on the plastic picnic table. All at once, the heat of the day surrounds her. It's summer, so almost everything on the hill has turned brown. But Devon finds a single patch of earth that is still alive, still green, and rising from this patch is a hut. The hut looks like it is growing out of the refreshingly green grass. It is made of reddish wood and has a pointed roof, and there is a splash of blue flowers in bloom around its base. Ivy trails up one side. Devon sees the lady disappear around the left side of the hut to what must be the front door. There are no doors or windows visible from where Devon is standing. Henry is busy in the blue flowers. Now he looks like a real bunny, complete with power haunches and a twitching nose. Still, Devon knows this is her Henry. He's going to be really fast now, faster than ever. To her surprise, he turns his head and looks right at her with one brown eye. There is a sharp creak as the door of the hut opens, and Henry's left ear tilts like a little antenna to take it in. His whole body stiffens, and Devon knows she is about to lose him. She will both lose and be lost. What happens next is another great shock in her little life. Henry launches himself into her chest and knocks her to the ground, and then he is in her arms, back to being her soft, stuffed animal. She hears footsteps approaching. Like a superhero from a cartoon, Devon rises and turns in the same motion. It is crucial that she not see the lady's face. She knows this now. She runs as fast as she ever has, remembering where to turn and finds her way back. She's on the path to the chalet, still running, carrying Henry. His plush fur has returned to its usual color. Talk about close. Talk about lucky. Devon's feet touch the soil of the yard just as her mother comes out the back door. Devon is really panting now. She knows she may have to lie. She is ready for it. Bear, facing the chalet with a teacup balanced on one knee, is prepared to help her. Devon takes her position at the table. But then things get even stranger. Her mother says nothing. She's not even paying attention to her. Her mind is somewhere else entirely. Lying in bed that night, Devon senses a great change. She can feel Henry's heart pounding in the darkness. Bear growls in a low, plaintive tone. Devon knows there is no way she can keep Henry away from the hut on the hill. He wants those flowers. Maybe Bear can go with them next time. Stars and planets come out tonight
Charming Disaster with Paris Green. And I think it's time for a little mise. And on the menu today is a snack size interview with our featured musicians, Charming Disaster. Brooklyn based goth folk musical duo Charming Disaster was formed in 2012 by Elia Bisker and Jeff Morris. Inspired by the macabre humor of Edward Gorey and Tim Burton, the murder ballads of the Americana tradition, and the dramatic flair of the cabaret, they write songs that tell stories about death, crime, myth, magic, science, and the occult. Their latest album, Supernatural History, is a musical cabinet of curiosities inspired by the natural world and the metaphysical realm, uniting the worlds of magic and science with songs that explore subjects like witchcraft, monsters, and the underworld, alongside bats, plants, poisons, and parasites. My kind of topics. So, uh... The Charming Disaster were kind enough to answer a few questions for the Violet Hour. 1. What is your earliest memory of an apple? Jeff, I picture the apple image on the center label of the Beatles' Abbey Road record. Elia, I remember the Garden of Eden. 2. If Charming Disaster were a perfume, what scents would be included? If Charming Disaster were a poison, which ones would it be? Brugmansia, a.k.a. Angel's Trumpet, whose scent has been known to drug the unwary into a state of intoxication, even hallucination. This is our answer to both questions. 3. What is your songwriting process and creative practice like? It's like a communal waking dream, like a hand-to-hand acrobatic act, like drawing a line and letting the line tell you where to draw, like being an octopus with two heads, like doing a book report with a Ouija board. 4. What are your five favorite words associated with disaster? Hindenburg, Steamboat, Charming, Apocalypse, Ragnarok. With Underworld? Katabasis, Inferno, Chthonic, Magma, Sisyphean. With Grenadine? Pomegranate, Shirley Temple, Bomb, Apple. 5. Please describe your current obsessions in the form of a grimoire. Helen Keller, Urban Wild Fruit, The Duke of Ors, Jeff Needs a New Red Suit, Noyau Extract, Toast Away the Cyanide, Symbiotic Cultures Letting Good Bacteria Thrive, Wireless Interference on the 2.4 GHz Band, the endless logic puzzle of our touring plans. Bonus. If you were a stuffed animal, what would you be? 
Jeff, one of the ones that come alive when you're not looking. Elia, one of Beatrix Potter's dead pets. She studied them to create her art. Well, thank you again to Charming Disaster for sharing their music and thoughts with the Violet Hour. And you can find out more about them at charmingdisaster.com. And you can buy their new album, Supernatural History, and they have lots of other music too, at their bandcamp, charmingdisaster.bandcamp.com. Are you or anyone you know a musician? Amateur, professional, experimental? Do you tell stories with music and song? Are you interested in being considered for a potential feature on Mr. Bear's Violet Hour? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, please send samples of your work, links to Bandcamp, SoundCloud, your website, digital demo, tape files on Google Docs, whatever you have, to violethourmoon at gmail.com. Mousy, good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you too, Mr. Bear. You look kind of down, though. What's wrong? Oh, you know, just uh, just a little slow. Uh, the new moon was last week. It's already the first quarter, and uh, yeah, I haven't, haven't gotten the show finished yet. Oh, that's okay, Mr. Bear. It's, it's summertime, you know? You just go at a nice, slow, easy pace. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. It's good to, good to see you, Miss Mousy. Uh, but, you know, uh, Mrs. B, my, my human's mom, uh, she keeps telling my human that, uh, oh, Mr. Bear should retire. Mr. Bear's so old. You know, why, why are you making him work? Uh, he should just be, you know, in bed in, in silk pajamas and not having to work. And uh, Well, do you, do you want to retire, Mr. Bear? Uh, no, uh, I like doing the show. I mean, silk pajamas sound pretty nice. Well, you know, Mr. Bear, you can get some silk pajamas without retiring, and, uh, and you can, you know, relax in your silk pajamas, um, and do the show. Uh, it's not, you don't, you don't have to retire. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. I could, I could just get myself some, some silk pajamas. Uh, but... You know, she she says I'm a senior citizen bear, and nothing wrong with with being a, a senior citizen. But um, I'm not. I said, you know, my human's not a senior citizen. Like I, I'm not. How can I be a senior citizen? And she said something about barriers, and that I'm definitely a senior citizen. Well, Mister Bear, you're an old soul, you know. So, um, just take it as a compliment. Get yourself some silk pajamas and uh, do the show when you feel like it. You know, I mean. Or, or set an alarm, you know. So a few days before the new moon, set the alarm and uh, and then just you know start, because I, I know it. I know it always takes you a while. Oh uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, the show's usually about an hour, but it takes me many many more hours than that. Yeah, well, you know, good things take time, Mister Bear. That's what I always say. And uh, 
You know, it's like making a tincture or a liqueur or an infused honey. I mean, it just, you know, you don't have to do much, but you got to wait. You got to just give it, let that time do its magic. Oh, yeah, you, you always make me feel better, Miss Mousy. Thanks. Uh, what, what are you up to today? Well, you know, uh, summertime, uh, I figured it's about time that I started a first aid kit. A first aid kit? Wow. I, I don't have one of those. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's just, it's a good idea to have a first aid kit around and, and try to learn some first aid skills. Um, and, you know, that way we can all help ourselves and, and help each other. Uh, so I just started, um... You know, you could just start by just whatever you you have around. Most people already have something, you know, like some band-aids or some gauze pads or paper tape, you know. You can just start start gathering things and putting them all in one place uh, so you'll you'll know where they are when you need them. Oh, that's, that's smart, Miss Mousy. I like that idea. Well, I'm taking a first aid course with Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism, and uh, yeah, so that's that's their idea. Um, you know, gotta gotta give credit where credit's due. Uh, yeah, that that's true. Uh, what what else is in your first aid kit, Miss Mousy? Well, let's. Uh, so this is just a start. This is my first first aid kit. Um, you know, I think I think there'll there'll definitely be more to come. But let's uh, let's take a look together, shall we? Oh, uh, sure, Miss Mousy. So I just have it in a little a little mesh bag right now with a zipper because that's what I had. But, you know, the whole idea is just use whatever you have and then, you know, try it out. And then you can, can change it or figure it out later. But just, you know, just start. Just take, take a first step. So I have, well, I have some, some gauze roller and I have some gloves and I have some paper tape. That sounds uh, helpful. Yeah, let's see. And then, oh, okay. So I've got some tinctures. And I put them all in a plastic baggie and everything's labeled. I've got some lobelia tincture. Um, that can help uh, if, uh, if, if you need an emetic, if somebody needs to throw up. Uh, or if someone's having an anaphylactic uh a shock and you know you they don't have EpiPens or their asthma inhaler or anything like that you know you can try try some lobelia tincture um i've got some lemon balm tincture and that's just a really relaxing uplifting nervine can also calm the stomach it might help you relax for sleeping sounds like you got a lot of things miss mousy yeah, let's see. I've also got some yellow dock tincture. So if you're feeling constipated, that can help. And then I've got some black raspberry tincture. So anything like blackberry, raspberry, uh, the the root is, is probably best, but, but leaf is what I have. Black raspberry leaf. And that can help when you've got diarrhea. Uh, so really anything astringent. Roses is great too. Um... Oh, I've got some cayenne tincture, so that's maybe if you need to warm someone up real fast or if they're in shock, uh, that, that can help. Um, cayenne, it, it's even, um, has even helped people with um, heart attacks before. I mean, you always want to call, uh, you know, call, 
call the, you know, the the professionals uh, if you think you're having a, a serious emergency. But, you know, if, if you got nothing else, you, you work with what you have. Um, and then I've got some propolis tincture. And that's, um, propolis is what the, the bees use to keep their hive secure. Um, so that, um, I haven't really worked with it much, but, um, you know, can, can help stimulate immunity, or I might even put it directly on a wound if I had to. Oh, uh, have you worked with wounds much, Miss Mousy? No, I mean, you know, my little, little cuts and scrapes here and there, but nothing serious. Uh, let's see, I've got some more, uh, gauze rollers. Oh, I've got some, you know, like, ace bandage to wrap around. Uh, oh, some hand sanitizer. Oh, I've got some calamus root and some fennel, fennel seed. And those are, you know, nice digestive aids. Um, uh, calamus is also, uh, can, can really help, uh, relax. Um... You sound pretty prepared, Miss Mousy. Well, it's it's a start, Mr. Bear. Um, and, you know, hopefully I won't have to use anything in here, but you never know. Um, but I also, I want to put some rose water spray in here for sure, because that is just so lovely and refreshing. And um, you can clean cuts and scrapes with it. You can just... Uh, Spray it on your face or your eyes when they're tired for a lift. It can help cool a sunburn. Uh, rose water. Oh, rose water for everything. So I want to put a little spray bottle of rose water in. Um, a little pair of scissors could be handy. And uh, some kind of salve, you know, with like plantain, calendula, uh, something like that. Um, I, I want to get to put in here that, you know, that you can rub on little little bug bites or cuts or scrapes. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I got so far, Mr. Bear. And, um, you know, it's a work in progress, uh, like everything. You just, uh, you know, keep keep learning and um, and revising. Uh, those, those are some wise words, Miss Mousy. Uh, yeah, well, you've uh, you've inspired me to start my own first aid kit, and uh, uh, and and just to uh, keep going. Yeah, learning and revising. I like that. Um, thanks, Miss Mousy. Uh, you always cheer me up. Ah, that's good to see you, Mister Bear. And yeah, why don't you go finish the show? You'll feel better. And uh, you know, next week's the full moon, so um, you know, um. Maybe, maybe you'll, you know, be inspired to, to do another show, um, uh, for the full moon. Oh, yeah, let's, let's not push it, Miss Mousy. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's my goal. It's good to have goals and then, uh, just keep adjusting them. Yeah, exactly. Learning and revising. Um, all right, Mr. Bear, uh, good luck and, um, well, hopefully I'll see you next week. Uh, yeah, Miss Mousy, uh, I hope to be back then, so, uh, thanks again. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait, Mr. Bear, don't forget to remind your listeners that I'm just a two-dimensional hand-drawn rodent studying herbalism, and they should always do their own research. Oh, yeah, of course, uh, Miss Mousy, you got it. Oh, and, and wait, uh, we forgot to do the flower oracle. Oh, yeah, don't, don't want to miss the flower oracle. Uh, uh, what's, what's today's flower oracle? Okay, I'm going to flip through here. Uh, remember, it's Kate Greenway's Language of Flowers. And I'm just going to paw through and 
point down. And today's flower oracle is... Oh, let me get my reading glasses on. This book has small print. Jasmine Cape. Transport of Joy. Oh, that's just lovely. Jasmine Cape. Transport of Joy. Well, we could all, all use a little joy, Mr. Bear. Um, so I think that's a great oracle for today. So maybe um, maybe you can go make some jasmine tea uh, or just just meditate on joy. Uh, thanks, Miss Mousy. Yeah, Transport of Joy. Uh, that's, that is a beautiful oracle. So uh, I'm going to transport myself out of here now and uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Okay, Mr. Bear, take care. Just 
was Charming Disaster with Six Seeds. And that's the show, folks. Uh, Thanks so much for spending a little time with me in the Violet Hour. I hope you enjoyed the work of Jan Stinchcomb on the music of Charming Disaster. Uh, Don't forget to get your paws on your own copy of Verushka so you can find out what happens. It's available through Journalstone at journalstone.com. And you can find out more about Jan and all her other wonderful writing at her website, janstinchcomb.com. That's J-A-N-S-T-I-N-C-H-C-O-M-B dot com. And you can find out more about Charming Disaster and listen to more of their music at charmingdisaster.com. And as a parting gift before you go, I have an oracle for you from Norton Jester's The Phantom Tollbooth. I'm going to rifle through, point my stubby little paw down, and your oracle is... I really can't see what Dr. Discord was so concerned about. There certainly couldn't be anything unpleasant along this road. I'll read that one more time. I really can't see what Dr. Discord was so concerned about. There certainly couldn't be anything unpleasant along this road. Well, uh, let's just take that as face at face value. Um, and yeah, there's nothing unpleasant along this road in the Violet Hour. So, uh, yeah, stick to this road, and, and I hope there's no unpleasantness in your in your near future. Uh, well, I'll hopefully be back next week with the full moon, uh, and if not, I'll be back sometime after that. You know, we'll just we'll just keep waxing and waning. So take care out there and be kind to each other. Theme song and show music by Sugar Whiskey. Mr. Bear and Miss Mousy believe in radical love and kindness, in mutual aid, and empowering ourselves and our communities. Together we can dismantle the white, racist, colonizing, misogynistic, capitalist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist patriarchy. This podcast was recorded on Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria land. Text your zip code or city comma state to 907-312-5085 and find out whose land you're living on. Uh, you can also go to land.codeforanchorage.org for more information. There's also a helpful map at native-land.ca. This is just the first step in developing a land acknowledgement. Let's learn our history and honor the land and indigenous peoples, past, present, and future. This podcast was produced in collaboration with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network, part of bostonfreeradio.com and Somerville Media Center, Somerville's longest-running public access media center that enables a vibrant and diverse community to express its creativity, explain its ideas, share its cultures, and foster the individual right to freedom of speech. Learn more about Somerville Media Center at somervillemedia.org or check out some of the other amazing Boston Free Radio podcasts and radio shows at bostonfreeradio.com. Thanks for listening.